0: Hello everyone and welcome to Blended. Last month I was joined by DC, Miles, Brittany, and Jennifer to talk about workplace discrimination. It's an important subject to discuss because it's something so many of us have experienced at one point or another during the course of our careers, whether it's down to our age, our gender, our race, But people don't talk about it. People are scared of losing their jobs or having their work life made even more difficult. And that keeps the problem in the shadows, which then makes it worse. It's a self-perpetuating cycle. So our panel really shone a light on it by sharing their personal experiences, looking at the different types of and reasons for discrimination. And we really explored what we can all do to create more safe and inclusive workplaces where things like discrimination just do not happen. It was an interesting episode, sometimes sensitive and tough to talk about, but it's important we do, so I hope you enjoyed it and took a lot from it. Remember that if you missed it, you can go and check it out on letstalksupplychain.com, our YouTube channel, or anywhere you subscribe to the show. And it was episode 252. So welcome back to Blended. I'm joined by another amazing panel of guests. And today we're talking about sexual harassment. It's another tough subject. Content in this episode may potentially be triggering. So please do bear that in mind. So welcome to Carl, Christina, Charlene, Natalie and Christy, who are going to share their experiences and insights with us today. So, thank you all for joining us. Let's get started with some introductions. Can you each tell me who you are, what you do, and how you identify? And I'm going to start with Christy.
1: Sure. My name is Christy Kanishal, President CEO of Kanishal Logistics. I identify as a Caucasian woman. I am a mother. I have fur babies. Um, I also have a child. I'm married. And, um, you know, just living the dream.
0: Love it. Love it. Thank you so much for uh, joining us, Christy. Now, Carl, over to you.
2: Yes, I'm Carlson Watkins, uh, CEO and founder of Carlson Watkins Consultant, and uh, I am a African-American, uh, 54 years of age, and uh, I do not have any fur babies, though. I do have a groundhog that I've been trying to get out of my backyard for about <laughs> two summers now, and he's smarter than me, so he still resides there, but I'm happy to be here.
0: I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Hopefully, somebody out there can help with that groundhog situation. <laughs> I mean, you must be popular on Groundhog Day, he, Yeah, he, he he
2: comes out. He comes and hangs out. So it's a good thing, I guess.
3: Awesome, Christina, welcome. Thank you. My name is Christina Heldwine, and I identify as a mixed race. Um, non-binary person. I use the pronouns she, her, um, because I'm kind of old. Um, I'm a single mother of five children, and I am a technical writer who quit her job to write some novels. (laughs) I love it. I can't wait for your novels. Five children.
0: Wow, Christina. You're a super mom. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Charlene.
4: Hello, everyone. I am Charlene Brown, the brand Misfit. I uh, am an owner of Brooklyn Custom (laughs) Designs. It's been over eight years, but I've been doing web development, website architect, brand strategy for over 22 years, and I love WordPress. Uh, I know a lot of people are like, what? Yes, I am a full stack web developer, so I'm all about it code and design and branding. Uh, I am a mom of a fur baby. (laughs) <laughs> I uh, go by uh, she, her, and I have been from Miami and I'm now living all throughout New York. I have settled into Brooklyn and I'm loving it. Um, and I just enjoy helping my clients understand how to use technology to increase. Create a, an amazing website and know that that should be their foundation. So don't choose it as a, a last chance, but ditch effort, but make it something that you're really going to put some meaningful thought behind it.
0: Well, I really like WordPress, too. And I do have some some fur babies, but I have a question. Why Miami to New York? It should be the other way around because of the weather. Yeah.
4: I came for college and I never left. (laughs) Got it. So I came on a full ride and I was like, you know what? I might as well get out here because most of my fellow uh, students, my high school friends, they, most of them stayed in Miami and I just wanted to do something different. So I said, ah, the opportunity's here. Why not?
0: Love it. Love it. Well, thank (laughs) you so much for being here. Natalie, absolutely. Last but not least, tell us about yourself.
5: Thank you. Hi, everyone. My name is Natalie Mathis. Um, I live in the windy city of Chicago.
2: Oh, my hometown.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Don't blow over, everyone. Um, and I work as a customer success manager um, in the SaaS space. Um, so really helping you know, clients get onboarded into software solutions and making sure that they're having a good experience um, throughout that life cycle. Um, when I'm not working as a CSM, yeah. I'm I'm also uh, a soccer coach. I've played um, soccer my whole life, and I'm fortunate enough to work um, at a club here in the city where I get to work with a fun and energetic group of eight and nine-year-old girls. (laughs) Um, I I identify as biracial, um, you know, a mixed breed, just like uh, my pandemic puppy, Willow, who has recently taken over my life, so... (laughs) (laughs) Excited to be here.
0: Pandemic puppy. I think there's a lot of those out there. Everybody in the audience is going to be like, that was me and now COVID's not happening anymore and I'm just not sure what to do.
5: (laughs) I am right there with them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for being here. All right. So let's kick off this conversation. Now, the first question that I want to ask all of you is what is sexual harassment? Because I think it can be a pretty broad term. Um, I think everybody on this panel has uh, experienced it in potentially one form or another or seen it happen or had conversations about it. And so kind of want to kick it off with what does the term actually mean? So, you know, Carl, do you want to kick Mm -hmm. this off and sort of get us started on, on where we're going on this journey?
2: Sure. Uh, Sexual harassment on on the dictionary level is just a harassment, whether it be sexual overtones, unwelcome, inappropriate promises of rewards and exchange. It has a broad premise and uh, also not recently, but uh, being a law student, there are some areas that I've delved into that I did not know before that harassment can be from someone who is visiting or seeing it. Someone that's visually seeing that's going on. It's no longer just has to be confined to the two parties that's involved. If I feel that you're harassing someone that I work with, I can also step in and say that harassment is also, uh, uh, it should be a deterrent to that. So it's, um, it's a pretty broad term, but it's coming to a place, especially with the Me Too movement, where the parameters of what harassment has been are really being defined. So there's a true understanding that it's just a little bit more now than the language or slur or, you know, some obscene gesture. It's becoming the way the attitude of those involved or those seeing it, they're also incorporating that with the uh, harassment aspect.
0: Wow, that's, that's really interesting because now we're mm-hmm. going beyond just the actual physical, right? We're actually mm-hmm. going to those who may be in the room, maybe seeing something that's happening and not saying anything. And so this is a really important conversation, especially right now, if that's coming into play. Because mm-hmm. if you think that you can't be touched… And you've you've watched, like, pardon the pun, but, you know, you've watched something happen or whatever, then you could be um, held responsible for that as well. Anybody else want to jump in on this one? Um, I've also
4: uh, realized that with the whole aspect of sexual harassment, it also becomes from a mindset there's been a clash of generational understandings, generational yes. behavior. So a lot of times things that people normally would say way back when I would say um, they've they just felt comfortable saying it for them. It wasn't a big deal. So um, those now who have a, that empowerment to say, wait a minute, I, I don't know how that feels. I don't like how that is. It's, it's now, okay, are we not, are we understanding why you're saying this? Where are you coming from with this? Are you just being obtuse or ignorant or are you purposeful behind your behavior? Um, and, and that's where I always get, um, I don't want to say I overthink it, but I try to put myself in that place of, where are you coming from? Because maybe you're just saying something because we also have that too. A lot of our um, language, a lot of it can be old. And we have to be mindful of how we're using it or what's the intent behind our language and our behavior now. So I try to um, make sure that if I'm going to feel a certain way, where where is this feeling coming from? Is the person aware? Let me let them be aware. Let me make them aware in case. Let me mention it. And if they're ignoring that, now we have a problem. It's a different situation. So I, I try to make sure that I'm very clear on how I'm feeling. And then, of course, where's the other person? person coming from Mm
0: -hmm. who who was next was that christina or christy
3: it was um and all i was going to add was that um the thing i think that we've noticed too is that um sexual harassment can be derogatory in nature as well um it is being advances or jokes or you know um, uh, offerings of of different deals right Um, but it can also look like insulting or mocking somebody's sexuality or you know, being discriminatory based on someone's sexuality.
0: That's a that's a really good point because you know at the end of the day there's like we're talking about there's broad terms around sexual harassment and a variety of ways that it can materialize but one of the ways that we don't really talk about enough under sexual harassment is the mocking of you know your sexuality and what that actually means for the person that's doing it and then obviously the person on the other end you know when Charlene was talking i I went straight to the show, Mad Men. I mean, if you guys yeah. have ever seen that show, I mean, it's it's almost embarrassing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I think. um, but it really showcases what life was like during that era. And mm-hmm. if we have, you know, people in society who has come from that era and it's been something that has been okay for a variety for a very long time, it's hard to try to switch those mindsets. And so that's why conversations like these are really, really important so that they can be like, oh, wait a second, that's not really what we're supposed to be doing. Like, I need to be thinking about it some some other way. Um, and so, Christy, Natalie, I don't know if you have anything else to add there, but…
5: Yeah, I I was just going to say, I think what's interesting about this topic as well is, you know, when you think about what like predated ideas of what sexual harassment would be defined as, it also came with these like predisposed character traits, you know, Mm -hmm. the person who is, you know, committing the harassment is like this more vocal, confident figure versus the person who's being Uh, harassed might be more shy or labeled as that soft-spoken person, Um, whereas we see today now how how prevalent labels can be harmful. You know, somebody who might be as a male who's considered confident as a woman is aggressive Um, or somebody who is, you know, able to voice their opinions, you know, maybe as a woman or or another gender could be considered emotional. So then when when you're trying to express or vocalize concerns of sexual harassment, you'll see that kind of grayness there on, well, this is a person who we see as aggressive or overly confident, or, you know, we're, they're, they're losing that validity a little bit because of these labels that we associate with certain genders um, that can really be harmful too. So I think that that also has a play in this discussion as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Christy? I think you all had great um, information that you just put up. So I don't have a whole lot to add to it because I think it's great. But what I will say is just even my, in my own experiences, I feel like too, even just back in the day, like, you know, women were more at home and I'm, and I know it can be any, you know, whether you're male, woman, whatever um, it might be, but I feel like there was always like, kind of like with Natalie just said, it's like someone feeling superior to the other person. Um, cause even early on in my career, I felt like b- because someone was above me or somebody was in a better position, um, they felt that, you know, Hey, you should be at home, so to speak, and not in my place. So you're going to just deal with this and this is how it should be. Um, so, you know, I do think that that's another aspect of it. And I will say one thing that I think is interesting just because I am a female, um, or woman in company in particular Um, and we have a lot of women that work here, I feel like we don't, I have not tended to see anything like that typically within my company because I feel like when you have, like in my, at least in my experience, a female-led company, maybe the people that would be doing that harassing would not feel as comfortable doing it where if it was more of a male-led company just in the past, and I'm not saying right now, but in the past, I would say it was more like that just from my experience. So it's interesting to hear everyone's views because there's so much that goes into this. Um, Yeah. yeah.
0: Potential like characteristics. When we talk about characteristics, it could be a male that doesn't feel comfortable working for a woman. And that's Mm -hmm. why you tend not to see potentially in that regard, somebody within your organization that would do something like that.
1: Right. But then you see it from the outside as obviously we'll talk um, more about that down the line here. Yeah, absolutely. Now, and I so, think
2: a key thing, Sarah, yeah. I just want to add with that, too. I think a key thing when we talk about it on the legal standpoint of that and really the defining it, that it's not about uh, the sexual desire. And a lot of times we get caught up in that sexual harassment as this big sex thing, such as women that uh, have talked to me about being raped. So not so much the desire of the sexual activity, it is the power that's yielded through that harassment. And this is what takes on a whole life of itself. Because I think on a, on a whole, a lot of us could stand our own wiles against someone trying to forcefully, you know, use those kind of tactics. But it's oftentimes in authoritarian areas. Where well, we don't have that power that it's being used, and it's all about the power of being subjected to. So those are some of the key things that I really wanted the audience to understand that even though it's a broad range, it's not about that woman and male or male on male or woman on woman kind of activity. It's just the power that I can have over you with you being in this situation.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we're going to get into, you know, specific experiences. I'm going to share some of mine as well. And I think that that's a really good point to make, right? Because I think words do matter. We're talking about Mm -hmm. sexual harassment, but majority of the time it doesn't have to do with sex necessarily. It has to do with Mm -hmm. the power and what that actually turns into. um, that, That shows itself into a variety of ways. Now, So we've talked about how it can be a variety of different things and it could mean a variety of different things to to different people. But I think let's talk about like written, verbal, physical. Let's talk about the different ways that it can happen. Um, I think more and more we're seeing it online as well. And I think that's a really important aspect that we need to talk about because people are becoming empowered by being behind the keyboard and not really showing their face. And it's creating a lot of discourse for a lot of people. I mean, the anxiety that's in this world right now, I think, comes a lot from the online world. And then I think it's also important to note that it can happen to anybody. So who wants to start this part of the conversation? Um, you know, Charlene, Natalie, when it comes to online, you know, what, I mean, maybe Charlene, because you're, you're developing websites, I'm sure you see everything. <laughs> Um, what are your thoughts on sort of like in person versus online, and what are we kind of seeing right now? Well, I always
4: uh, say when people feel empowered to be behind the screen to do bad or evil, it's really that they're they're keyboard gangsters at that point. They're they're strong at, in an army of the uh, anonymous they they don't have to feel like they can show themselves and i find a lot of people who are very aggressive and and just rude are always hiding behind um imagery so it's either a fake photo or an avatar or something weird is always them so they're still in a sense i feel and i don't want to dust off my psychology degree but i think they but have let's do it. <laughs> uh, they have moments where they're fighting in their own lives and they feel like now is their time to take on someone else and they can they can get everyone else riled up um, to, to help them. So now you become a group of, of angry and vicious people. And and especially when it becomes um, talking about someone's body parts and all these kind of nonsense, mm. it's really about them feeling like, ah oh, OK, I can go I can t- I. I can log off. I feel good now, but they now interrupted someone else's life just because they may not have had a good moment in their day or in their life. And I and I've noticed that too in the workspace when you have someone who's just have a bad life at home. So they come into the office or and they start to harass other people. So if and it's not always sexual like like Carl mentioned, but you just have someone who if they feel bad or they they're not feeling up to um feeling like they they can empower themselves. Now I need someone else to feel just as bad or worse. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the whole online stuff comes in because you, you're not going to be held accountable. How can you hold someone accountable whose photo you can't find? And a lot of people don't realize that because technology is evolving so quickly, the laws are super, super slow yeah. to catch up and they've always been super slow uh having a camera fi- finding a camera in your home people were doing that and the laws were not catching up fast enough for that so now all imagine all the new things that are happening especially with the metaverse about to happen the laws will not be ready oh, for the metaverse. So it's up to us to start realizing, okay, not only do we need to um, identify this, but we need not to get sucked into the commentary and being so quick to jump on and say, yes, uh, oh yeah, you know, you don't look this way. Oh, you don't look this way either. Because it's not, even if you're thinking you're defending someone by attacking the person who's attacking first, it's not It's not helping. It's just adding yeah. to the, the whole flare and fire. So it's just about, I think, not only identifying it and trying to shut it down through silence, that's how I I deal with a lot of it. I don't feed the fire for a lot of that nonsense. It's also now we need to get into the the law books, get at our, our politicians to say, look, you guys need to speed it up. Mm-hmm. and and you want to you want us to help back you but now you need to support us then the one space that we need to support to support at the most is online yeah. and i don't think they're doing it enough i don't think they're doing it fast enough and of course you know if if um sexual harassment can be ambiguous then we need laws to address that ambiguity don't leave space for people to wiggle through and still be able to get away with it yeah. especially you know you see kids now more and more Kids are getting involved in these type of sexual harassment cases. So if you have... um young girls or boys committing suicide because something might have happened. Someone shared a photo, someone, someone did something weird, and now they are being harassed. And now people from schools that they don't even go to are jumping in on it. They're jumping on Facebook, on Twitter, on TikTok, and they're attacking each other. It, it, that's even a developing emotional space that these kids can't handle. Yeah. So it's, it's we really need to start looking to attack these on the law level as well.
0: All great insights and some good solutions there as well, because this isn't all just, you know, talking about the challenges, Mm -hmm. but it is identifying the challenges, but then also talking about possible solutions and what we can do as a community. One thing that um, when you were talking kind of brought up for me was drones. So I have been vocal about drones because if I'm out in the backyard in my bathing suit in my private backyard and a drone goes over and takes a picture and then all of a sudden the picture is out there, whose responsibility is that? Because I don't want that picture out there and they've been able to take that picture and use it. And so that's something that I have been not very vocal about, but something that I have been, I've spoken to people about because I think that that's a really big problem. And I think when it comes to sexual harassments, that is something that could be sexual harassment, right? And then mm-hmm. I think the other thing too, is a lot of uh, people are using Instagram, especially uh, influencers as their workplace. And so a mm-hmm. lot more of them are speaking out about you know, posting a picture and somebody commenting on their body and saying, okay, thank you so much for, for your opinions, but I really don't need your opinion on my body today. So you can just go. You know, and I think, you know, being more vocal about it and seeing people who have that kind of influence really stepping into the light and talking about these things empowers us in the workplace to be able to stand up and say, whoa, 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 wait a second, that's totally inappropriate. We're not talking about that today. You know, and so I think it's important the correlation between in-person and online and some of the things that you were talking about on Instagram that we really incorporate in the discussion about sexual harassment in the workplace because it's, there, there really is some correlation to how you're spending your time online and how you're spending your time on, in the workplace, especially right now. And we're all remote, right? Natalie, did you want to jump in? Sorry.
5: Oh yeah. No, I mean, these are all great points, Sarah and Charlene. I couldn't agree more. And I think Sarah to kind of, continue on from your point and i know we'll get into this a little bit later but you're right there is a direct relationship to what we're doing online versus what we're doing in the workplace and there might be roles where it requires you to have a presence online too mm-hmm. um and especially for like the millennial the millennia, millennial and the gen z generations this is what we grew up around you know we're on every single web Browser kind of brand having our personal brand out there, um, and you know I think where when we think about the workplace and how that can come into play too is you know oftentimes if it's through some sort of workplace tool there are resources for you know work the the worker the company to be able to monitor you know what is being said but also in thinking about how we recruit and what that company is mission is and what that value, what a reputable employee means to them. You know, there are resources there that in recruiting, people are going to be leveraging and understanding what that whole person's picture is. Hopefully they're incorporating that, you know, what does their presence look like online and what type of person yeah. are. Yeah. What um, are they
0: talking about online? Exactly, <laughs> very exactly. careful people. Very careful. Yes.
5: Yeah. So um, you know how our company is going to, you know, leverage online, Um, to be able to make sure that they're bringing in the talent that's going to contribute to the culture. Um, and also when that, when that happens and when there's that ambiguity, as Charlene mentioned, you know, what are going to be the best ways to escalate if that's something that's related to an employee to employee, you know, situation.
0: Yeah. Um, And will they hit it head on? Yeah. Right. Are they dealing with it or are they sweeping it under the rug? And it's not just about finding the talent. It's about finding the people that would fit into the culture and that aren't creating issues, you know, online or, or saying things out of turn or and it's OK to make mistakes. Let's put this out there. OK, yeah. everybody's going to make a mistake. I've made a mistake you can say something wrong i mean we are in cancel culture so we do have to sort of bring that up a little bit i guess but everybody's entitled to make mistakes it's your reaction and how you deal with it after the fact will really show your true character and that's just one thing that i do want to mention because never nobody is perfect especially online um christina christy did you guys want to jump in on this one
1: sure you know i would say as far as the internet goes, like I've actually taken myself off social media, other than LinkedIn, um, just because things have gotten so out of control with um, the arguments I see and the harassment and all those different things. And then I also have, you know, nephews that, you know, this generation growing up, we we didn't have social media and the internet and all of that, um, even cell phones. I think I was 19 when I got a cell phone. Um, <laughs> so it's very hard, I think, um, with these kids growing up in these ages and teaching them at a young age that what they're seeing and what what they have access to, and I think as parents, um, really controlling that. Like I'm able to obviously control and know what my kid is looking at and what I'm you know, able to limit him to and what not to. And some of the stuff I see from his friends or or whatnot that are going on, I mean, I'm just shocked that the access that's out there and they're just learning, I feel like the wrong way. So they don't, they've never been taught. I don't think there's enough training or education that's going on in schools that need to be done at a young age so that when they do become older and adults, that they go into the work environments with a different attitude is how I feel just because I'm, I'm seeing it just in the younger generations, because I I do have, you know, a child and my brother has kids and my sister has a a kid as well. And it's just so different in the access that's out there. And it's, it's almost like it's, it's acceptable. Like this is the way it is because that's all they see now. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, so you're kind of going from that mad men where like everything was acceptable and now you're kind of going almost Almost three hundred and sixty, right? Because online, there's you have access to everything, and all the kids have access to everything, and so you don't know. I mean, you do kind of know what's right and wrong, but then you could get caught up in it. I guess I don't know.
2: It's a translation to that Mad Men era where everything was uh, pictured as acceptable. To now, we're in this era where everything is accessible. Okay. so now That's that circle, needed, now that circle comes to full circle, where now the attitude has met the opportunity. And this is where we lie in now, that, that attitude that has carried on, whether it be by millennials, G, G, Gen Z, all of those alphabets, right? A little piece of those attitudes have been trickled down throughout generationals right so we've taken some of that because we've been raised by that those have been our forefather teachers so they've given us a little bit of that and then we discarded the little bits that we don't like but we pass down what we do like and what we do like don't always correlate to others yeah. right so we continue that process and though it's not as imminent as Mad Men on tv so you know being that kind of way that's uh, behind the scenes now look i can create this whatever in the metaverse and i could be a meta pervert right here in the metaverse. Mm-hmm. And I got the opportunity and the wherewithal to do that. And it's not too much you can do about it.
0: Right, right. Thank you for that, Carl. Christina, you have been waiting patiently. I know you have a lot no. to contribute. <laughs> no, this
3: is super cool, actually. I liked going last because I could hear everybody else's. And so, and everybody had really great things. And I heard a lot of people talking about like, Confronting this type of behavior um, and setting boundaries, and I think that those are really important things to teach the youth. Um, so young adults and children need to learn about about boundaries, what they mean, um, how to uphold their boundaries, and and how to resolve a conflict when it comes up about those boundaries. Um, that was something that actually I've, I practiced a lot as I started. I've I'm a survivor of um a a multitude of traumas throughout my life. Um so I one of the things I had to practice was confronting these things, right? Stopping someone and saying, hey I don't like that. I don't like how, just like you said, I don't like how it makes me feel. That's super important to teach our kids to be able to say that. Um, so it definitely does start with the kids. Um, the other thing I wanted to add is that it's super scary about the the way that the online presence has influenced um the people that you work with. Um, in my experiences, I've had people that were like kind of being creepy at work. And then the next thing I knew, I got a Facebook friend request from them. Um, and then when I didn't respond to that, they're addressing me at work. Why didn't you accept my friend request? Yes. So it really can like, these things can really intertwine with each other. And, and it is tough because there are no laws that cover you outside of the workplace. There are some laws that can kind of cover you within the workplace, but outside the workplace, when you get into that internet stuff, there's no there's not you-
0: Thank you for sharing that example because I I hadn't even really thought about that example. But the amount of times that that happened where you get confronted because you didn't accept somebody or you didn't like their post or like that is just crazy to me. But anyways, um, it also took me back to – I was watching – I don't know if you guys watched this, but they recently had um, The History of Playboy on TV. and yeah, so pretty. I watched the different episodes and actually, Christina, you bring up a really good point because what they said was the girls were very protected inside these playboy, not the mansion, but the, the nightclubs that they had or something like that. I can't remember what they're called. Uh,
3: Benny, anything sponsored by the company.
0: Yes. And, but then afterwards when they walked out of their workplace, they were not protected And actually got assaulted more times than they didn't just walking to their car. And so that's a really um, interesting, like it just sort of triggered me to go back to what I had watched. And honestly, like that whole Playboy thing, if you haven't watched it, it's extremely um, interesting to watch and just sort of get an understanding of where some of this culture has come from and how it was actually put together together. And he was, I mean, we're not even going to go there. But anyways, that's the example that I kind of, you know, see you really talking about protected within the company, but not protected outside of the company.
1: Yes, Sarah. I'm sorry. I was just going to say to your point, because I saw that too, because I feel like when people think that, so say those women, that's what they do for a living, that that's what they welcome Mm -hmm. or they think there's more to it. And maybe there's really not that they're just doing the pictures or whatever it might be, but they just think that, okay, they want it. This is what they want and they, you know, deserve it. And unfortunately that's just how, how it's gone down.
0: Well, and they had very strict rules. So if you watch this, the interesting part is that they had very strict rules inside. Mm
2: -hmm. Inside the building. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like it's crazy. Anyways, I'll leave everybody in the audience to watch it if you want to watch it. But it's it's quite uh, quite interesting. So we're gonna dive into personal experiences in a little bit. Can, but can we talk a little bit about some of the behaviors that sexual harassment can include? Because again, it's broad. You might not even realize that it includes much more than just the obvious. And what is the difference between sexual harassment and sexual assault? Because sexual harassment can include sexual contact. Some cases of harassment can also constitute a sexual assault. So it's not really black and white. You know, uh, there's a lot of gray areas here. Carl, I don't know if you want to start this by talking a little bit about some of the behaviors and maybe the difference, um, because I know you you do a lot of work in this space.
2: Oh, uh, yes. The, it, it's it's tremendous and, and pains me just to tap a little bit on that that Hugh Hefner thing, how the audacity, and that's, that's pretty much the word that comes to mind when I think about that, the audacity of how they reigned that in and not to mention the money that was made, but how they reigned that in. And Christy put a great point on it. And this is where the culture, not just in the workplace in the environment in which we live, mm-hmm. we've been able to label uh, regardless of their occupation. No, would it be something that a lot of us would probably choose who's to say it's not my right to, but if an individual goes into that, there are still some rights as a human being, as humanity, yes that they are covered under. And it's so much so that we look at people because they're not like us and don't value the diversity in us, that we could take that label that and discard them as far as rights are concerned. So to me, it's really that in the sexual harassment, it is that it's far more than the touching. It is, it is and it's always cultivating the attitude. What a lot of people don't understand, and I tell a lot of people that I talk to, read the rights that you have. Because a lot of times we're just blinded by, okay, they're touching me. Okay, it's unwanted advances. It's how they make you feel, the environment they create, the attitude that permeates with other ones, employees that work with them, that group mentality of how they try to peer pressure you into doing those things. It is a lot of ways that goes into this, but all of it is protected. But by us not knowing that we think of the Captain Obvious, well, I wore this My neckline is too far down or my skirt is too short. I mean, I've jumped on people like I mean, like literally almost handle like when I've heard people in my place or space talk about, oh, man, that dress is tight on her. Who are you talking to? Why are you talking like that with me here? Mm -hmm. I mean, I've jumped on that. And I and I've always said because I have a sister and I have an adult daughter. And that was before then. It's just my character wasn't like that. But just to see that those are chaos, she she had that dress on. So, yeah, she must like that. How absurd is that to think of that? And it not only happened to women. I've had since I've been on LinkedIn and I curate some of those that may be listening. I've had people jump in my DM, are you handsome with your gray beard? And, you know, and and I'm like, really, this is LinkedIn. You know, I'm not all business. I do have some personalness that I show, but I mean, I'm not on here to be a fashion model. I'm not Denzel Washington. I don't, you know, I don't look as that, but I mean, it goes across the board and we create that sexual assault with that actually touching that actually formatting of the environment. Those things are inclusive with that assault. Because it makes you feel a different way. The harassment is just that. And it's not lightened. It's just that you have to understand the differences of that harassment is creating that opportunity, that ability for someone to demean you in a character's way. Mm-hmm. It's not all the time sexual. And I think we mentioned that earlier that power of that, but that assault is actually the forcefulness of it. Where I've cornered you to, where have I put you in the place that I've actually took your mind? too. (laughs) That's the salt. Where have I taken your mind so that you're feeling this kind of way each and every time you're into the office of your employer? Yeah. I've made this environment for you and and that's where it goes to me.
0: And sometimes you laugh it off. I know I have in the past. Mm -hmm. I don't know about anybody else on the panel. Sometimes you laugh it off. I think one of one of the ones that I remember from a workplace that I was in was that guys made a list and actually put girls or women against the attribute, good legs, who's got good legs, who's got the nicest bum, you know, who's the prettiest, like all of this kind of stuff. And then the, the list comes out and like horrified and like, you know, the one person that thought they had nice legs were on the, and then it just spirals from there. I mean, these are actions and things that are happening that groups of people are knowing about. That are actively contributing, that aren't doing anything about it. And so these are the kinds of things that we want to bring up. Does anybody else want to talk about this side of things, you know, sexual harassment versus sexual assault and everything in between?
4: I I just want to say, I think it also kind of opens up um, and I'm I'm bringing it into the, the space of online, like breaking out of the the walls because a lot of times we we try to keep it until we're all in a space together but like imagine that let that list that was on paper within these walls are now posted online you thought it would be you thought it would be in a a private group chat on whatsapp or on your text messages and now it's all over the place so a, a lot of times we we um we harm each other and it goes viral. It gets to a point where you can't even stop it. So even if you were in the workspace and you could leave and at least go home and and have your home as your sanctuary and have your family, your friends and nobody else knows about it because they don't work there. At least you had that boundary. But now once we bring it online and a lot of companies are trying to mesh um, your linkedin and your social with your workspace and hey let's get to know each other even more and let's have um happy hour and all that and that's that just opens up a whole can of worms so now you're you're anxious and like do I want to do this a lot of us have been on zoom for 2 years mm. so now we're inviting these same I want to say mental monsters into our home because now we have to be on camera. And that's, I, I mentioned that a couple of times, like some people that's their space. They just don't want to be on camera. They don't want you to yeah. see their home. It's they, that's their space. Mm-hmm. So now you're being forced to open that up. And if you're being harassed and you mm-hmm. thought, Oh, you know, the pandemic's here. Thank God. I don't got to go in the office anymore. I don't got to see you ever again. And now your office is saying, Nope, now we're going to bring them to you in your home. And Mm -hmm. it's so it's, it's like, I think that's another form of now you're having a mental assault on you every single time. You have to have a meeting with these people every single time you're on camera and you know how it is. You're everybody's on a zoom, but people are taking photos and snapshots and screenshots. So now what are they doing? Do I look good enough? Do I, am I all right? Are they going to take a screenshot and share that in their private chat? Are they talking about us? Like what's happening so mm-hmm. we have to be mindful of, are we inviting these same bad behaviors that we never addressed before? Are we now inviting it into the virtual world and forcing the victims, in a sense, to participate in that?
0: Yeah, So that, like, that, is, that is so, so true and something that I didn't even think about. So thank you so much for bringing that up. But you know, when I go back to that list, I think about everybody on that list who's impacted without even really knowing it. Mm -hmm. unless the list is brought to light. So there's even, you know, a lot of these conversations and the harassment and things that are happening behind closed doors that are even could be more prevalent with us being remote now as well, um, which makes it a little bit easier too. So definitely something to keep in mind, something to be thinking about, something to be talking to your, um, you know, teams about, you know, And making sure that everybody's comfortable. I know that I jumped on a Zoom call the other day and their company was told that they don't have to be on camera hmm. if they don't want to be on camera. So giving people the option, giving people the choice, especially when you don't know what they're going through in that moment. Um, And so let's talk about where it happens because sexual harassment can really occur in pretty much any setting from the store to public transport, but a large proportion of incidents do occur in the workplace. And that's where we spend majority of our day with the same people day in, day out. I mean, we've been remote for the last two years. Everybody's talking about a hybrid model, getting back into the workplace and things like that. So maybe this will change, but traditionally, you know, there has been a lot that has happened in the workplace. I know for me, as an example, You know, I went uh, for lunch with a male colleague and he drove and he drove to the other side of the parking lot and parked. And I was like, oh, what are are we doing right now? Because the restaurant (laughs) is over there. And he put his hand on my leg and I said, you better get that thing off my leg and we are going back to the office right now. Otherwise I'm getting out of here and I'm screaming bloody murder so that somebody comes over here and arrests you. And then what I did was I went and I wrote everything down. So if it happened again, I would tell his wife. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just, and that's not within the four walls of the workplace, but it is with a coworker that you think you're going out for lunch with to have a casual conversation with outside of the workplace. And then something like that happens. So what do, what do you guys think about this?
2: You bring up, you bring up a great point. And, and, and uh, I guess as, as a man is the only male on here, and my perspective is I always try to protect myself. Now, what does that mean uh, to me, staying out of those, Uh, situations. Uh, Some people would look at them as opportunities. I got invited around. And for me, for the most part, I've been in a lot of jobs with the departments where I've had 95% have been women. So it's only been a couple of males in there. So the perspective of who I was over, who I was in charge was really dynamic to me because I hold the authority over these women. And I never wanted it to look like that because some men that I've worked with, they like that. That's a harem sort of feeling to them. I'm the supervisor and I got 12 women in my department. And, oh, look at me, you know, and I, and I run across this and I'm not shy to say it. And I, I scream it from the top. Us as men have a real issue and I'm not sure uh, what it is. And, I, and I'll take it on as a man. I'm not sure what it is, but this perplexity that we have in mind that everything is available to us really right. comes from the dynamic of how we feel entitled. And regardless of the skin color or regardless of the nationality, this is something that men have a problem with is went all the way back from, I guess, caveman days that we feel entitled to be able to have what we visuals see. And this is an attitude that hasn't hasn't changed. It's been curated. We've seen it in politics. We've seen it in government. We've seen it with our president, past president. We've seen it in our governors. We've seen it in even in our state legislature, even with the Me Too movement. It's become to an exposure. But has it really because with each headline, it dissipates and then we get a new victim and then we get more victim. We talk about this. And I'll say this quickly. We're talking about this gentleman that plays football. Uh, the one 22 sexual assault cases. Yes, he had not. It didn't go criminal. And <laughs> they dropped those charges. But here his with this history. Every team in the NFL is vying for this guy to be their quarterback. Mm-hmm. And it's all about wins and losses. And when we come to that progress, it's a lot of people getting hurt in that. And we're not looking at that. I've had that. Look at that. I say if I had women to invite me to a restaurant, I give them the money. I say, bring me back that you guys have a great time. I'm not going to get in the car with four or five women because it's my word against theirs. And at some point in time, I have to look at the opportunity to say, is that a situation I want to put myself in? And I'm not saying it's a fault of women, but it's also you to be proactive and preventive your own self. Is this a situation I'm going to be in? I got to speak up about this. I can't let this go more than one time because that's a pass.
0: Yeah. I'm glad that you brought that up because there is, you know, some situations that I've talked about this with my husband, you know, Mm -hmm. teacher, student right? Male teacher, you know, there's been lots and lots of times where, you know, you don't know what happened and it could have happened, whatever, but there's situations where you, you know, don't necessarily want to put yourself in as a male. And I completely get that. Natalie, Christina, Christy, do you want to jump in on this? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, Carl and Sarah, you both brought up really good points
5: and I actually love the, you know, uh, example that you used Carl with the football player, because and thinking about where this can happen in the workplace you know mm-hmm. it can happen inside the workplace it can happen at a happy hour it can happen where i've seen it a lot in my industry is at these conferences where you're traveling as a group but also it can happen as the client the customer for the company can be you know providing that type of sexual harassment and then it brings in that okay what do we do now this is business that we are bringing in and that's definitely something that Happens where you're uncomfortable with, you know, your client. They make you feel uncomfortable, um, and and then what do you do? You know, then it becomes like a second layer of, like you said in your example, people are vying for this business. This is a revenue generating customer who is making someone feel uncomfortable. So. Um, it, it really, there's so many layers to where you can be exposed to this type of harassment in the workplace and, you know, setting, uh, you know, and that's why to kind of backtrack to Christina's example earlier and how important it is to set boundaries and understand what boundaries look like and bringing that communication and education down to the youth. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I can't speak for everyone on this call, but understanding boundaries isn't something I even skim the surface of until my mid-20s and yeah. understanding like what a healthy relationship looks like with a colleague, with a friend, with a family member, um, and and how to look, create my own coping mechanisms or own flags for, okay, this is where I stop. You know, I can't control their boundaries, but I can control when it's a stop for me and I'm going to make that Um, And also understanding to Carl's point on, it's not about what they did or or an exact physical moment, but how they make you feel. Mm -hmm. That was such an eye-opening concept for me. And that's why I love these podcasts, because it took me so long to understand that what feelings I was feeling weren't right, weren't comfortable, or that I didn't have to justify this feeling with an, uh, with an action or with something else. Like this feeling was enough to be able to escalate. Um So I think that like so many great points here um as we're continuing on that conversation.
0: Goosebumps, Natalie, goosebumps. I'm like all of them right now. Yeah. Cause it took me a lot later in life than you. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there, <laughs> but I think it also comes down to the company and the culture empowering the employees to be able to set those boundaries as well, which is not something that we talk about a lot and something that we do need to talk a lot more about. Christy, and then I'll come to you, Christina.
1: Yeah, no, I think um, they both made some really great points. And to your point, Sarah, like as far as boundaries go, I mean, I've had it on many different levels, many different areas, as far as the harassment I've dealt with customers, vendors, in the workplace, at college. Um, and honestly, at a very young age to where I just almost like it's like I didn't even know what to do or how to even deal with it. And, and it wasn't until like I had issues with my parents and it was like, I need to set boundaries with my parents. And then it was everything else after that. So um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's very eye opening because I do feel like even in my situations, as we'll talk a little bit later on, like it gets pushed under the rug and nobody wants to talk about it because I feel like it was always kind of put on people like you're the bad one if you bring it up or you you get treated a certain way if you bring up any kind of conflict that these things are happening. So you are kind of frozen in a moment as to how are you supposed to handle it because we weren't, I wasn't educated on it. There was not education back then. There's a lot more now, but we need to do a lot more work on the educating within our companies specifically and within the school systems so that everyone does understand that it's not okay and feeling that way I think has created um, at least for me like when you brought up Natalie like feeling the way you felt was not okay I would know that too but then I just also felt like I didn't know what to do about it like who do you go to because I can tell you even in some instances with even my parents or even other people and to your point Carl like Well, you wore a shirt that was too low or your shorts were too tight or things like that. I mean, so there was just so many things, I think, back then um, that we just didn't talk about. Now we just have to talk about it more and get people to talk about it and not feel ashamed to talk about it. And I do talk about my experiences with a lot of people because I want people to know, like, this is why I am who I am. These are the things I've gone through.
0: Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna get into those personal experiences in just a second. Just before Christina, I was having a conversation with a transgender couple a couple of weeks ago, and um, talking about what we can do internally in the workplace, just to give an example. So she actually went into her employer as a male mechanic, I think, for the New Jersey Public Transport or tra- Transit, and she went in and said, "I'm going to transition." And they didn't understand what that meant. And then she explained it to them. They created a whole curriculum mm-hmm. for everybody there to understand what transitioning meant and what was going to happen and what they were going to go through and what she was going to go through and what that needed to look like and educated them. And so that's just one example of how a company can really empower not only their people in the the situation that they're in, but the people around them to create a culture of acceptance. And so I just wanted to throw that example in on top of what Christy had to say because I think it was a really appropriate moment to do so um, because it's really um, important for the organization. Organizations to do that. Christina, last word
3: on this this part of the topic. Beautiful, thank you. Um, so, touching back to the difference between sexual harassment and sexual assault, um, I think that there's there's an umbrella for for sexual based crime crime ac- criminal activity um, that is sexual violence, and so sexual harassment and sexual assault both fall underneath that umbrella of sexual violence. And I think it's more of like a Venn diagram where there are a lot of things that overlap into each other. And and it kind of depends, you know, where, where everything kind of falls after the offenses have been made. Um, but as far as the boundaries and all that stuff, I, I think everybody, we're continuing on that theme and I really love it, um, where these things happen in the workplace is, is an interesting thing. We've talked about how it can transfer outside of the workplace. And so, like I said, I quit my job and I worked in the corporate industries for a long time. And now I'm just kind of out here doing my thing. So there was a guy that I was friends with. I was friends with him for a very long time and I wanted to do a podcast with him. And it turned into an issue because he kept saying these things to me. So I set my boundary and he was like, okay, okay, okay. And then a few weeks later, another incident. So I set my boundary again and I probably gave him more chances than I should have um, because we had been friends for so long. But I think that the important thing that we also need to teach people is that it is okay to leave. Mm -hmm. That's a very, very, very good point. If you've set your boundary and you're not being heard, walk away because you're going to save yourself a whole lot of damage. (laughs) Yeah. And one thing, and that's such a great point. And one thing I'll say to that is that
0: it's not easy to leave. Everything goes through your mind as to how, what you did wrong and how you're such a bad person and, in, and, 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 and. so that is going to happen, but knowing that ahead of time and being able to, to deal with that is going to be part of that boundary and that being able to leave. So such a great point. And I appreciate you for, for sharing that. So, Now we've talked about it from a theoretical perspective, but now if you're all comfortable, I'd like to move on to personal stories and experiences because the reality is so many people, particularly women, have a story and we need to tell those stories if we're going to expose just how prevalent the problem is. But we're going to steer clear of naming names for obvious legal reasons. Um, we want to just keep it to, we don't want to overshadow the stories. We want to be able to share those stories in perspectives so that other people can listen to the story and be like, oh, that's wrong, okay, I shouldn't be doing that, right? Um, instead of overshadowing it by naming names. So let's not do that. But So have any of you have experienced sexual harassment? When, where? By whom, but like status of individual, and which harassing behaviors were you subject to? Who wants to go first? I'll
2: okay, go
1: first.
2: Okay. 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 No, I was going to okay. go ahead because I was going to say since I was the male, I was only male on, uh, and I definitely <laughs> want my audience to know that that it is a male perspective that's being discussed in this conversation in very positive light. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I can go in. I was uh, not sexually harassed, but I was sexually molested from uh, seven to twelve. Uh, quite a bit of time. Uh, it was it was uh, by my uncle, a uh, Vietnam War veteran. I won't say his name. Well, I could anyway. He's deceased now. Um, and there was a point of where I had young parents who were both working and trying to go to school and uh, babysitting wasn't cheap. And he came at a good price, free. He was there at, uh, at the home and they dropped me off with him and he took me to school. And after school, I stayed with him until they came home. And this happened for quite a few years. And uh, by him being such a decorated soldier <laughs> of the Vietnam War and by him being uh, such a high caliber of person, uh, neither sides of the family would definitely not believe me mm-hmm. if I went to them and said anything. So what I lived with that, I lived with that through fantasy. I learned to read real quickly. I learned to write a lot. I learned to express myself in ways that others have no idea, and my imagination and my mind just, and I think I'm glad of it today because it elevates my thinking to the levels that other people are amazed by but to me it's all was cultivated by a culture that continues to plague our society uh kids at home getting molested and there's there's no way out for them and that took on a a terrible spiral i went from that to being a high performance alcoholic through high school three sports Mm -hmm. Uh, I went to the military, considered alcoholism there. She so was not able to talk about it. And uh, one night on the tank, and I'll end with this. I sat on the tank with uh, my 45. I was an M1 tanker, tank commander. I sat on there with my 45, which was the sidearm that they gave me. And uh, I played Russia roulette and I pulled the trigger three times. And needless to say, it didn't go off and the gun didn't jam. But uh, I didn't have a come to Jesus moment. It wasn't uh, the Ten Commandments with the sky opening up, but what it was was a moon that shined so bright in the middle of the night. And I cried and screamed to the top of my lungs. So we was out there in the field and we were on the training mission and I cried and screamed at the top of my lungs. I was so angry that I couldn't kill myself. Hmm. That's how much hurt was inside And at that point in time, I came to the revelation of knowing that what I've been through is not for me. Mm -hmm. So I went there and at that point in time as a 19 year old soldier in the army from Chicago in Germany, never been out the country before in my life. I became a vulnerability aspect. I became a vulnerability prospect and I became an expert at that moment that I said someone Anywhere that wants to hear is going to hear my story because there's someone out there that is going through what I'm going through and they feel they can't make it. So it's important. I'm,
0: I'm so sorry that you went through that. And I appreciate you to no end for sharing that with us. There's way too many kids right now that are considering or have killed themselves Mm -hmm. by suicide. I was watching Dr. Phil the other day and there's, the numbers are staggering. And so for you to be able to share your story and share how you have been able to turn it into light and advocacy and being able to share that with other people so that we can avoid some of these tragedies um, is really commendable. And I want to thank you for that. And I think anybody who's listening to this, Mm -hmm. who is on any aspect of that kind of journey that you've just spoken about, that is not speaking up and not providing support or, 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 you know who you are and we really, really need you to step up and step into the light so that we can stop this pandemic of, of suicide. And so Carl, thank you so much for sharing that with us. The,
2: the power is in the voice. And though you may think that you're saving pain by being quiet, uh, make more noise, speak yeah. up louder. Yeah. <laughs> That's what a power is.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much
1: for that, Carl. Christy. My
2: pleasure.
1: Yeah, Carl. I mean, I'm so sorry you went through that as well. And I would like to say that unfortunately the males don't get put in the highlight for being the ones that are abused mostly. And it's, it's really sad. Um, you know, cause honestly my father just passed away and he was being physically abused, um, and mentally abused and, um, So I totally get it. It's almost like you're not heard unless you speak Mm -hmm. up because we don't talk about that enough. So thank you for sharing. First of all. Mm -hmm. Um, so my start story, I have a a few I want to share briefly just because i almost feel like I've had this journey. Um, but mine started at college. I went away to college when I was 18, um, was with a group of kids going out of a dorm and, um, A gentleman that I actually liked was trying to date, but for some reason, you know, everyone went out the door, the door locked. Me and him did not come out the door because he pushed me up against the wall. Um, One of the kids um, noticed at the time that we did not come out the door and he was trying to assault me at the time, um, but he had come back through and down the stairs and threw him off of me. And um, we, that was like the only night I drank at college, like no lie. Um, it was towards the end of the the semester and, um, that night I had to like write a statement, which I couldn't even read after the fact, but everyone that was with me actually reported it. And because they reported it, um, that guy did get thrown out of college. Actually, he was not allowed to go back to college because of that situation. Um, but I went home. I did not want to go back to college because of that. Um, I tried to go to another school, but drove and didn't stay like in a dorm here in Pittsburgh. Um, and then again, my my story, I started working for my dad and then I just never finished school. But unfortunately, like, that's kind of my story that kind of put a bad taste in my mouth with college. And I just was like, done. Like, if this is how college is, like, I, again, didn't know anything. My mom didn't, you know, I think, believe the situation at the time when we talked about it. Um, I don't even know that I talked to my dad about it at the time either cuz it was just like a most embarrassing um you know what happened. But then obviously later on throughout my you know career I've also had incidences we talked about with customer. Mm. Um you know customer you know asking me to talk dirty to them. Um yes. Really?
0: Yes. Damn. Yes. I'm um, always does anybody make Anybody think that that's appropriate. Can I just put this out there? Anybody listening to this particular podcast, not appropriate. Okay.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of like, oh my God, like I didn't even know what to say. Cause as Natalie said earlier, big, bigger customer bringing in, like, what do you, you do? I mean, I just, I made excuses. Like I, I got to get off the phone. I have to make a call. Like eventually I did speak up and say something, um, because it was also like going to meet them in person. I would always have someone with me. I would yeah, never I mean, go by myself five um, I've been So there. that's kind of how I I would say rectified that situation, so to speak, but it was very uncomfortable. I didn't even know again, like I was just so shocked. like what do you do? What do you say? Um, and then I had another incident I think was probably the most compelling one um, at a conference, <laughs> um, as Natalie mentioned too, and I see it all the time. So I've been in the industry 25 years. Um, You know, the amount of married people in general, not going to just keep it to men, but that just feel like that's their, you know, carte blanche to do whatever they want. But um, being at a specific dinner with um, few, but I would say there was four of us from my company, my brother was there as well. Um, with a carrier that we use. And I went to go to the restroom and the lady in the restroom is telling me my husband's outside waiting for me. And I'm like, I don't have a husband. And she's like, well, he said he's your husband. And I'm like, I don't, I don't have a husband. Well, I went out there, it was one of the gentlemen from the carrier that we use. And um, we st- I was kind of like, why are you telling her, you know, you're my husband. And we walked up one side step of uh, stairs cause there was two steps to get back upstairs or flights. And he actually pushed me against the wall And tried to kiss me and I immediately like put my hands up and pushed him off me and is like like that is not you know cool um I'm not you know at the time you know I'm actually with this my husband um I was with him at that time too and I'm just like that's not something that you know I'm into walked up the second flight of stairs sat down my brother's on one side and then then a different guy was on the other side and then he put his hand on my leg (laughs) wow and started rubbing my leg. And then I just got up from the table and I went over to another area that the seating area that had a fire and just sat over there um, because I, I was just like, oh my God, like one after the other, it yeah. was just mm-hmm. a very um, difficult situation. And again, a carrier that we used to haul a lot of our freight. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very interesting the next day, like I didn't say anything else that I was like done for the night the next day we were on a conference floor. Um their manager was with them that night and they both must have said something to him knew something was going on and they both actually came up and apologized to me that next wow. day. Yeah, right okay. in front of him. Yeah, right in front of the manager. Um so, you know, it was just one of those things again. It was like, you know, I appreciate it, but it's still awkward. Like it's still like I still see these people. I still, you know, know them in the industry and whatnot. And um, yeah, it's very difficult. I mean, even to the point where like, I would travel a lot by myself. And even like I went out to dinner with a carrier one night with two guys, like they want to walk me back to my room. And I know what that means. So I'm just kind you know, in my opinion, like I don't need walked back to my room. And then it just, you know, causing an issue. I mean, ultimately, I won that discussion. But I mean, at the end of the day that's kind of made me feel like I have to travel with people. I have to have people with yeah. me. Even when people were with me, it was happening right in front of them yeah. and not them, not even knowing until I, I had said something. So, um, so yeah, I mean, those are some incidences that have happened in my life specifically with school and work and in my personal life as well. Um, kind of to your point, Carl, not being, um, you know, in your your situation, but dating a guy and then being raped. So I was raped as well when I was younger. Mm -hmm. So I've had multiple different situations that I've been through that I feel like, honestly, I haven't been a great advocate because I feel like that was like all I knew. Like I felt like this is maybe how Mm -hmm. it it was and we just be quiet about it and you just move on. And, you know, but I would say over the past few years as things have gotten um a little bit more bigger out there with the Me Too movement and all those type of things, like I do feel empowered to talk about it and because it isn't right. Yeah, and it's yes. not okay to do these things and feel like, you know, if you're in a position with a, a customer or a carrier or whoever it is, that something is going to happen because you don't give in to what they want. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. um, so yeah, that's
0: that's Thank my story. Thank you for sharing that, Christy. And it's so important for us to be able to share all sorts of different sides of those stories. And you've been mm-hmm. through so much, and you know, I'm so sorry for all of those incidences. you know, and it's just it's this is the only way that we're going to get through to those people and empower other people to speak up. When I was in sales, you know, I had a guy that was like, yeah, you should come down here and for your sales call and this and that for the weekend. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll bring my husband. He's like, yeah, no, your husband's not invited. Right. I was like, well, the only way I'm coming is if my husband's coming. So I guess we're not doing it then.
1: Right? You know,
0: like just sort of trying to keep light because I think you and I uh, at our age, right, what we've been through from the beginning is really keep quiet. Right. Right. Keep quiet. Don't speak up. You know, don't cause problems. You know, you're the problem if you bring it up. So anyways, I I appreciate you for sharing that. So, Natalie, Charlene, do either of you guys want to share? Natalie?
5: Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm happy to to share. Um, and, and Christy and Carl, thank you both for sharing your experiences. I think, you know, it's just like, as Sarah mentioned, it's so valuable to be able to open up and, and, and be in a trusted space where we can share these things. And Christy, especially with what you described on conferences, like, who I'm like getting a little emotional here with how uh, much I can relate. Um, and it really just tells you how much these experiences leave a lasting impact because you know, even coming onto this podcast, I'm like, I was, you know, I'm so excited to be here, but really it's bringing up a lot. And there's so much that is linked to how you identify as a person with these experiences. So, um, you know, and I've, I've had a similar experiences to Christy and, you know, I, and ultimately it led, you know, being in the same industry, that's definitely something that happens in that, in that culture and often, you know, is, is aligned with success, you know, being a new salesperson in the industry, wanting to make their way. You have to be forced with these, you know, choices, you know, be objectified, put yourself in situations to get the business or set boundaries and pr- prolong your, your path to success, mm-hmm. um, which is an unfortunate crossroads that a lot of people have to decide on even in 2022. Um, you know, a particular experience, I, I, I've had in the workplace was actually with another coworker, um, you know, and it it was it was one of those that was subtle. It was a lot of little little things over time, which you know, at being newer in a professional career setting, it was something that was hard for me to define. You know, that's the thing about this topic. No one no individual is an expert in what sexual harassment is. So trying to identify it is not easy. Um, You know, it would start off with, you know, communication via Slack where, you know, we're trying to talk about a discrepancy and then either discrediting what I'm saying and then trying to flirt with me in that same way. So, you know, trying to kind of have that manipulative Manipulative behavior. Then it would be, you know, comments made about, oh, you know, you shouldn't take be so serious. You look so much prettier when you smile. Um, you the know, amount of times. You know, and or just making comments in a public setting in the workplace where other people can hear to kind of set the stage of you know labeling, you know, you a certain way. Um, then it led to a more serious altercation um at a happy hour that actually resulted in you know an escalation point for me. Um it it was really it, it was a very difficult situation, just feeling like I could not communicate with this person, I could not set boundaries with this person. They clearly did not. know how to communicate with someone of the opposite sex. Um, And it was a big detractor for me. Um, And I think that the most difficult part was as a biracial woman, I particularly struggle with being labeled as intimidating um, based off of just the presence that I bring and that I uphold, I'm proud to say that I'm a confident person, but that, that confidence doesn't mean that there's a lack of emotion. Um, and I think that when have, when bringing up those escalation points, it was difficult for my story to be credited because it wasn't followed by tears. You know, you could they right. couldn't see it, you know, something that I held in private. Um, and it ended up resulting after escalating to leadership. They said they would speak to the individual that that incident, you know, when thinking of how it was resolved, leadership considered it being resolved, and that, um we did this kind of like monthly appreciation thing where they would pick different people to name an individual that they respect who who's really helped them and that person who had been harassing me named me in front of the whole company to say how much they respected me and how amazing I was even though we had multiple incidences um, and that resulted in me you know getting a gift card I think I had got an uber gift card out of it um, and it wasn't until months later that that individual had been fired for performance issues that I then was brought in to kind of help because that person ended up um, moving forward, trying to dispute being let go. And that's when I was brought in kind of by leadership to document my case.
0: <laughs> Only um, at that point? Yes. <laughs> okay. Anybody who's listening that's in a leadership position, that is not Okay. That is something that if you're seeing it happen or you're doing it, let's not do that. Let's do better.
5: Yeah. Yeah, So, you know, it's definitely, it's one of those things that, you know, to echo what we've talked about over and over in this call on understanding what your rights are. And understanding yeah. what boundaries are. And I really echo that, the part about bringing this up at a young age, because somebody new in the industry, you don't know, you don't know how you can advocate for yourself. And that's why allyship is so important, because in those situations, not having somebody to advocate for mm-hmm. you and tell you, hey, there's more that needs to be done here.
0: Yeah. It really
5: makes it difficult, Um Yeah, Yeah, that's an example. Thank thank
0: you for sharing that. And I think another important point is to document. Mm
2: -hmm. I think
0: um, there's not enough emphasis when it comes to different situations that we're in, or maybe we think that it's not worthy of it. But I think really documenting things, putting a date, putting a time, putting a name um, towards things, not just journaling about how you're feeling and, and what's happening, but also documenting it. Um, which I think in these kinds of situations is also really important because, you know, at the end of the day, like Carl said, it could be a he said, she said. And if you've got mm-hmm. something to back you up and you've documented it and you've taken that time, you know, then you're going to be that much for- further ahead um, in some of those discussions. And so, Natalie, I'm so sorry that, you know, you went through that. And the, the, the interesting part about your story, too, is the manipulation, Is that leadership knew what happened and then they allowed that person to manipulate the situation and make them look good. Like that's got to stop too. I mean, we're talking about things happening behind closed doors. The manipulation is rampant and people aren't always who they say they are. And we really need to be, you know, looking into more of people's who they are, you know, and, and believing them for their actions, you know, a lot of times that we make excuses for. You know. Absolutely. Thank you Natalie. Christina, I'm going to go to you. You have been so animated through all of these all of these stories that I think you've got a lot here at this moment and then I, Charlene, I, I, am, I will I, come to you.
3: Thank you so much. I have um, an an expressive communication style. So I can't help it.
0: <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Listen, thank you. if thank this you. was video I'm engaged. I'm very much engaged.
3: Right. I I know. Um, no, I'm glad it's not. I didn't put makeup on. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so, okay. So I, the, my first experience with sexual assault was when I was young. I I think I was 14 years old. Um, and it was kind of a unique situation because it was with people, um, that the, the, you know, the people that assault it was a group of people that assaulted me. It was mm. people that knew that, that I went to school with that were well-known. Um, and it sort of perpetuated this really bad cycle. Like they, they really, it was, it was bad. They, they went to school and they were like, Oh, she seduced us and blah, blah, blah. It was bad. Super bad. Yeah. Yeah. It was wild. So, so that was my first, first experience. Um, as I got into the working world, um, as an adult, um, I experienced sexual harassment in, in different forms in, in every single place that I've worked at every single place that I worked at. Um, it has happened one way or another. Sometimes it's very blatant. There was a guy that I worked with in debt collections and I would come into work and every day I would sit down at my desk and he would sit down at his desk and he would say, so do you want to have sex today? Oh, and I'm like, really, wow. really? And nobody he does think he's this- being funny. Oh, he thought he was being funny, but every single day it was every single day. And that's not funny. So, so, so these types of things. And then there were very subtle things. I've seen, you know, things in emails, I've had people spread nasty rumors. I think that that's also a form of sexual harassment when people Mm -hmm. say that you've done things that you haven't done or things like that. Right. Especially after a rejection. I've, I've heard of that's never happened to me. I've heard of that happening. The story that I really want to share though, um, is I, I became friends with, um, uh, one of my coworkers, um, he was a mid-level manager. He was not my direct supervisor. Um, we became friends over a period of about five years. Um, I think I mentioned before, uh, maybe I didn't, I was in a really abusive relationship for a long period of time. Um, and, and. So I got to a point where I was, you know, getting ready to leave this relationship and and it took a lot to get out of it. I got help from, you know, some, some advocates, some local organizations and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And, um, and, and we had become, he had been a very good friend to me throughout this process. He, we went to lunch on a regular basis, probably once a week for like five years. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And so I left the guy that was terrible and I'm on my own and I'm single and I'm doing my thing and I'm, you know, getting, getting my, my, my land feet back, I guess, right. After being stranded at sea for 13 years. And, um, (laughs) and so about a year after I become single, this gentleman that I had been friends with for all of these years offers to be my sugar daddy. Whoa. And he says, and I quote, I have the money and my dick doesn't even work. So it'll be an easy gig. <sighs> Are you still working with him at this point? No, not anymore. Oh, no, no. But even so. Um, now, so I want to touch on. So this so this happened and I was like, I don't. So I want to touch on uh, things that I've heard a lot of the, the other people in our panel say here. Um, we don't know what to do with that. We don't know what to do with that, especially if you were born before 1990. We don't know, right, what to do with that because it's such light. a normalized behavior, right? Um, it's, it's culturally normalized. It's socially normalized that that. You are going to be hit on in one way or another, and that's going to happen. So so I'm learning my boundaries. I'm learning how to set boundaries, and I'm a year out of this crazy relationship. I'm trying to heal, and I'm like, no. I, I said First, I said I had to think about it because I didn't know what to do. And then I said, no, this is not okay. He says, can we still be friends? I said, okay, fine. We can still be friends. But... What happens after that is periodically he brings this up or will send me an inappropriate text message, like outside of work hours and blah, 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 blah. So this happens, goes on happening for, you know, a three or three or four years, I think. And, and I didn't notify anybody because I didn't know what to do about it. I didn't think anybody was going to believe me. Um, I had been through everything that I had been through at my place of employment, having left a um, relationship, like I did those things. You can't keep those things quiet. Do you know what I mean? So I really felt like I was in a position where it wouldn't be beneficial, I guess, for me to say something about it. I did say something after I finally quit the job. I, at, at my termination, I was like, Hey, these are the things that are going on. These are the things you guys should address. Mm. Get better. <laughs> yeah, You know, yeah, yeah. Um, he still works there. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And yeah, I don't know, think anybody, I don't think anybody believes me and I'm, don't get me wrong. Like I was very expressive about this. So, but it was, it was a tough situation because first of all, I thought he was my friend. So on an emotional level, I thought he was my friend and, and he's not my friend. As soon as my relationship status changed, suddenly I became a target for that sense of entitlement, right? So that's a big thing that happens. If your relationship status changes while you're in a place of employment or throughout your career, you may find that you get treated differently. Um, That does happen and and become a target for sexual harassment. Um, But on top of that, as a survivor, these things re-traumatize us. Mm -hmm. On top of that, the process of getting justice served is so redundant and bureaucratic. It's a re-traumatization in and of itself. So it becomes very, very difficult to be able to, to bring that about. So that's my story. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. And it, and it brings up a really good point. So I've, I've been approached on Instagram DMs uh, for somebody to be my sugar daddy. I took yeah. a screenshot of it and I sent it to a group of people and I was like, really? Is this like, really? <laughs> These like people
3: really do this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it also brings up a good point because Chriselle Staus, Stouse, she's from uh, selling sunset. I follow her on Instagram, but she actually posted a story about a week or so ago talking about dick pics and that she gets them all the time. Can I just put it out there to the audience? We do not want those. You Ever. need to keep them to yourself. And do not send them to us unless we ask for them. And the reason why I bring this up is because it kind of correlates to your story. And I'm sorry that you went through that. But what she said was that she will find your sister, your wife, your mother, your girlfriend, and she will send that picture to them. So don't be sending her or any of us any of those pictures. And I think that we as women, no offense, Carl, need to be empowered to be able to say, wait a second, I don't want these in my DM. And yes, I'm going to not post them publicly, but send them to the people in your lives that you probably don't want you know, to see those pictures. So I appreciate you for sharing that because that's another side of sexual harassment that we haven't really talked about, that people just send you things and, you know, don't really think about the consequences and the triggering of it.
3: That's it, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Charlene, last but not least, um, are you willing to to share your stories?
4: I have not um, had an outward uh, poor. But I have received unwanted or un uh, asked for photos. <laughs> oh,
5: you have. Uh, okay. Yeah.
4: Um. So I don't know if it's maybe it's my face that says, "Hey, send them to me." But no. <laughs> uh, that's that's been that's been my journey of getting unwanted DMs and 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 other kind of craziness like mm-hmm. that. But I have uh, heard of um, those in power. Uh, and I was under them, and I had my peers, males um, in particular, who this person would always gun for. And we said gun for because they would rev them up. They they would ha- um, give them, you know, um, favors, uh, let them do be on projects. So a lot of us were like, you know, this person really doesn't do work. But what do they do? They were always on special projects and. Uh, always around um, the the holiday times because you know we used to have the Christmas parties. Uh, there was always an incident or or a story started flying the the night after the after party. So um, when I witnessed, I will never forget witnessing this person in power, full position, having someone hemmed up against the wall making out, and I'm like, first of all, <laughs> the entire company know you're married. That's right. not your husband. Yeah. Uh, and and second of all, every time you saw the people that were entrenched with this person through stories or whatever, you could tell the the way they moved was a little different. So, um, just to know that someone in powerful position can can do that, uh, I never liked it. It never felt right. and but it always felt imp- um. Like you didn't have power to say anything because Mm -hmm. this is your manager, manager. Like, who do you go up to after that? Because the way a lot of these um, structures are, you don't get heard or they, because they're in that buddy, buddy role, male and female, once they hit a certain title and they're they're in this sweet C-suite situation, they talk to each other, they blow things off. And next thing you know, you don't go far because now you're tagged as a troublemaker, you're tagged as the person who speaks out, um, you know their dirt. <laughs> so now they, they get to be like, wait a minute. Um, so that's that's troubling to me. And I think for me, that, that's my only takeaway is not only do we need to deal with the legislators, but we need to deal with these corporations and these um, C-suite folks to say, look, you see this happening. Um, you can't allow these people to continue to rise in rank or move positions because that's another thing that they do. They move them from one division to the next and they're just harming people all the way around. And because you'll hear them whispering about it, you hear people whispering because we can't openly say, hey, didn't you? Because now your career is affected or right. you lose your job. Yeah. So I think that's something that the corporate really needs to pay attention to, especially yeah. now so many HR divisions are remote. You now have to go through machines and automations. Mm-hmm. You cannot automate this process. You can't. No. You can't automate trying to find a way to have someone hear you, acknowledge you, and then make a make a move on it. And yeah. then not not pan, not pander to what the C-suite people are saying, but hold them accountable. Because if you're going to hold us on another level accountable, then you need to hold the C-suite people accountable as well. Yeah,
0: it's so true. And it kind of reminds me of industry, right? There's movies like Bombshell or TV shows like Morning Show, where they talk about yeah. the broadcasting industry and how prevalent this is in the broadcasting industry. I mean, if you've ever seen Bombshell, I mean, she's up in that that um, office and he's asking her to pull her skirt up higher and higher and higher and higher. And then you just see the devastation and what happens after. And so, you know, it's really important not only for conversations like this, but for movies and TV shows to portray this and to show different instances so that people can resonate with it, empower them to speak up. Now there's a couple of stats that um, I got from AWAVA's young woman Report of 2021 that i just want to share with you guys so 74.4 percent so it's the most common barriers to reporting violence so 74.4 percent says feeling embarrassed or ashamed 69.2 percent fear of not being believed 61 percent don't trust reporting will result in justice 51 percent said fear of being judged and 46 percent says scared of retaliation by the perpetrator So a lot of that has to do with all of the people that we've talked about in the different scenarios. Some of the people that you've just mentioned, Charlene, and those are really, really, really big numbers. And I think part of the solution and what we can bring from a conversation like this is to really not only bring perspective, but also help bring some of those numbers down. And so one of the things that I want to talk about before we go are solutions to the challenges and to bringing some of those numbers down. Carl, do you want to kick us off with, you know, what can we do? What can the audience listening that's, that's you know, had their heart broken over and over again by listening to everybody's stories, but want to be able to do something?
2: Uh, you ended it with the best thing that you can say. Do something. Mm-hmm. We have been talking about this. And, 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 and I want the audience to hear that in my voice. We have been talking about this countless conversations. Everyone knows what's going on. It's just it's, it's just the stupidity of it to me. And that's really the eye that I see it. Everyone knows that this is going on, but we have to create the culture of accountability. It can't be movements such as me too, and the LGBT, I don't want to miss any alphabet, of that, it can't just be that isolatedness, and it's impactful when someone's injured, someone's murdered, someone's outed. Then there's a big storyline. This has to be a repetitive, consistent push by everybody. See something, say something. I remember before they bombed, uh, before the planes hit the towers, right after that, The motto was see something, say something. You see somebody leave a drug, you see somebody leave a book bag, you see anybody leave something, say something. The culture has to be the same dominating effect in all societies' points, Mm -hmm. wherever it is, inside or outside. Mm -hmm. You have to see if you see something, say something, and it has to be there's going to be victims there's going to be victims. And when I say that, not the victims that are already the things that are happening to, there's going to be victims of retaliation. There's going to be victims that's going to get fired. There's going to be victims that, but somebody has to take the stand and then we have to stand together. I I can't see something happening to any one of you ladies and I continue to go by.
0: Right. Well, I I mean, I think two organizations do have do have quite a bit responsibility. And I think that's been a common theme across a lot of the conversation today is that organizations mm-hmm. need to step in, step up. They need to lean in and they need to create a culture for where this, you know, I don't know if we'll eradicate it completely, but I think it mm-hmm. needs to become a culture.
2: It's that, a culture of accountability. Yeah. The accountability is is what, and that's on everybody, especially in you have to create that culture. If this doesn't happen in my company, Mm-hmm. Someone has to say that <laughs> it's yeah. just as plain as day. I know it hasn't been that done like Tomorrow. that, but I just see it as being a plain solution <laughs> and someone has to say something.
1: Yeah. Very well, Carl, to your point real quick. I mean, honestly, like I do feel like I'm a CEO owner of my company and it is mm-hmm. standing up saying like, this is not acceptable right. and make it known so that people know there's going to be repercussions for mm-hmm. having those things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, and I will say, uh, and I could be completely wrong because I don't know that it's ever come up, to be quite honest. But I am, as you know, like I said before, I feel like maybe it's not as prevalent when you have like a woman leader in charge versus like a male leader. And again, I know that things still, you know, could happen. But I feel like as a business owner and someone who has been a victim, we have to say that it's not accepted and people know that so that hopefully those things don't happen. Yeah.
0: yeah. So in wrap up, I want to ask each one of you, what is the one thing that you would like the audience to walk away from this discussion with? Natalie, I'm going to start with you. Yeah.
5: Um, thank you, Sarah. I would say the one thing that I would like the audience to to walk away with is the importance of speaking up, as Carl said, um, and, and finding your community of people you can trust to speak to. Um, community matters, allyship matters.
3: Yeah, awesome, thank you for that. Christina? Um, Yes, speaking up, huge um, documenting comes second to that, document things. We really need to teach all of the younger people, document everything because if it gets to the point where you do need to pursue something on a legal basis, the only thing you have is that documentation to back you. So while speaking up is good for your soul, documentation is gonna be good for your case.
0: Awesome. Thank you for that, Charlene.
4: I would say I, I want to um, bring in the the energy. Like people have so much energy for eradicating cancer, eradicating all these type of evil things and improving the air, all of those things, right? I want us to bring the same energy to eradicating misbehavior, eradicating people feeling uncomfortable, uneasy. It's not just when it's my time or when I hear about it, now now we can rally each other up. No, don't get riled up after the effect, get riled up before, start putting things in place now. And that's part of making sure that all of our elected officials who are out there kissing our children to get in office, make sure that they follow through and they protect our children online. They protect us online. And then also the same thing for corporate, protect us because you can't keep um, having us in these spaces and just allow it to be the wild, wild west. You see so much going on. You see so much being created so start being prepared it's better to get ready stay ready than to always every time something new happens oh now we got to figure it out no Mm -hmm. stay ready stay ready use that same energy
0: stay ready and bring the energy
1: Christy I like that Charlene that's totally different and it's it needs to happen um you know I would say different from the others as well, because those are great. But also knowing, again, setting boundaries, Um, being aware when you're witnessing something to be part of the solution and not just walking away. And knowing your company's policy, if if you're in the workplace specifically, um, and not being afraid to speak, because if you don't speak, um, nothing changes. So we have to make changes and um, don't be afraid to do that. Absolutely. Carl,
0: you've got the last word on this one.
2: The last word, and I'll be quick with this. Saying nothing affects us all.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much to Carl, Christina, Charlene, Natalie, and Christy for joining me today. That was tough. I mean, honestly, it's it's saddening to hear. People's experiences, and it's really disheartening to put those experiences into the wider context of a justice system in a society that still doesn't prioritize equality and the rights of those victims. Conversations like this one serve to remind us that we can't get complacent. Three quarters of women feel too embarrassed or in shame to report violence against them. Until those numbers come right down, we as a society have a duty. We need to talk loudly and often, we need to educate everyone from a young age. We need to protest, lobby Congress. And if we're not doing all of these things, we're letting victims down. Don't forget that you can reach out to me or any of the guests on social media if you have anything that you'd like to add to what we've talked about today. And remember to come back next time for episode 20 of Blended, when we'll be diving into more thought-provoking issues around diversity, inclusion, and equality. You don't want to miss it, and I'll see you then. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining me and sharing so authentically today.